Good morning. I would like to share something that happened um, that only Mike and I would know unless I shared it. And I think it's a real um, sign for our body because it came together, as it always does by God, in such a perfect fashion. And of course, I don't know if you know that the song we just sang, The Mountain of the Lord, was written by our Brighton pastor who mentored us for 21 years and we didn't even know it. And he writes and prays for us and he sends us encouragement. And only Jackie knows that that's my favorite song. So when that's played in a service, it always encourages us and just hits a real sweet spot. Then last night... Mike got a text from the wife of our previous, previous pastor, Pastor Paul Bradley, who, Bob Bradley, who is related to Paul and Connie. And so in our growing up as Christian couple, we've been in that circle with them. And Pastor Bob and Sister B, as we called her, meant a great deal to us because they were our first pastors Um, in Ferndale that we served with for five or six years. And so we get this text from Sister B, and um, we haven't heard from her really in a while. Now, Mike, I lost this text, so you're going to have to come back and find it on your phone because I lost it because I was talking so much. All right, here it is. Dear Mike and Chris, you both, plus your church, have been on my prayer list ever since you entered into the ministry there. You have been heavy on my heart, so I asked Paul, Paul Bradley, who is pastoring down at Freedom House, um, for your cell number so that I could write to you. Psalm 25, verse 2 through 3, is the scripture that came to me for you two. Remember, that waiting on God is never an exercise in vain. Be encouraged knowing there are many people unknown to you that are praying for you. The time is too short to give up now. Bob had a three-verse poem that God laid on his heart, and it went this way. And we remembered it well, but it was fun to see it. It says, Press on, press on, press on. Press on, press on, press on. Press on. And the next two verses were the same and to be repeated. Just know that your labors are not in vain. May God meet your heart's cry for the church. Ephesians 3, verse 20 through 21. Virginia Bradley. And so... Maybe later sometime this week, if you could just look those up and um, support that in prayer with us, that would be great. Thanks. Amen. Let's give you those verses again. You can write them down because you probably didn't. Psalm 25, verses 2 through 3. In fact, let's do them. Let's look at them right now. Somebody have your Bible? Would you open it? To you, O Lord, lift up my soul. 
In you I trust, O oh my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. For those who hope in you will never be put to shame. Amen. What a great word. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, 21. Let's look at that one. Sister B is preaching this morning. and She doesn't even know it. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That's us. That's our generation. Amen. Thank you, Sister B, for sharing with us. Amen. All right. You know, I just, um, I just want our church to be effective. Man, I just tell you, I just can't, I guess that's the biggest burden in my heart coming back is that I want our church to be effective. I don't want to be spinning wheels. I don't want to be just talking to talk and uh, coming into church and sing songs just to sing songs and take a little offering. And I mean, I really want our church to be effective. Do you know, do you want that? Um, I've been asking the Lord uh, coming back into ministry here as to, you know, where do you want us to go? Obviously, um, what do you want? And he gave me some words. He gave me a word uh, a few Wednesdays ago, and uh, I want to share it today. And I want to then start, and I want to take this week and next week to speak over that word and kind of get deeper into it, what the Lord, I believe, sharing with us as a church and me as a person personally. Um, let me read to you uh, a part of it right now, and then we're going we're gonna to study it today. Um, the Lord spoke to me, and he, and he made me feel these things. We have been trying and striving through our own power. We have our own ideas and our own strategies and our own authority, and it's time to turn all these good things over to Christ, to surrender our ideas, thoughts, and energy to the Holy Spirit, and let Him do the work and the heavy lifting that we have been trying to do on our own. We've worn ourselves out and the, community that, and the community that we're trying to live in and serve. We need to spend more time praying God's will in our lives and in our church before we put our plans in place. It's time to turn the corner through prayer and fasting and daily commitment to worship through our obedience, not our sacrifice. God wants an obedient, humble, teachable, workable, gentle team player. He doesn't want a superstar. He's looking for those that will humble themselves and surrender their ambitions to his plan and to fulfill his ambitions. That is true worship that the Father looks for, accepts, and empowers. We have a mistaken perspective of worship. It's not that our worship is wrong or bad. It's simply incomplete. Worship is obedience to seeking, finding, and living out God's plan. It's so much more than Sunday morning worship. That's only a starting point. Worship goes into the marketplace, meaning that what we give God on Sunday morning, He is waiting to see if we still mean it on Monday and throughout the week. We sing of His glory and majesty, but is our lifestyle of, of obedience to Him being lived out? God accepts our worship as we are obedient to His Word. This is the only form of worship that He accepts. We need to see the potential in us that God sees. We are spending too much time seeing what we aren't rather than seeing what God wants us to be. Satan, the robber of vision, has a cloud of deception on this place, and only through prayer and a committed, worshipful, meaning obedient, life will the power of the Holy Spirit lift this veil of deception from us. Then we will begin to walk into our true potential as God has for us. Changing into a new identity is hard work, and it requires godly diligence and desire to invite God's presence daily to walk step by step in a new authority. To not allow the old habits to slip back in, but to earnestly ask the Holy Spirit for daily sustenance and stamina to stay the new course. Don't be afraid of what the new man looks like. 
This new man is the man that God is going to be pleased with. This is the man that God is going to tell, well done, thou good and faithful. God is preparing an army that will stand their ground and fight until the end. He's looking for those that are ready and willing to arm themselves with his righteousness and holiness because they are the, one, they are the only ones that will survive the battle that lies ahead. Many will try to win the battle on their own, in their own self-righteous version of religion and efforts, only to be slaughtered by the enemy. Compromise with the world is not in the battle plan of this army. God is looking for those that are willing to go the distance with him to sustainable victory in this life and the life to come. Are you in? The question is, are we ready and willing to accept this call? Is this the generation that is truly willing to walk into the promises God has foretold for our church and our community? God has a plan that began with this inception of this church back in the 1940s. Are we the generation that is really going to see it come to pass? That's what the Lord impressed upon my heart. And so I want to speak upon this over the next couple of days and we won't, or the weeks. We won't get through it all today. But, but I really want to uh, spend some time this morning to, um, to ask some good questions. See, I think one of the things that bothers me about my preaching is sometimes I seem to be too negative. Sometimes I seem to be too hard. And um, that's something that I've tried to change. But I can tell you that God's not, I'm not changing. <laughs> God just doesn't give me the ability to do that. I can't preach a happy, slappy message. And I hope you're okay with that because I can't. I can't. I mean, I've, I've, I, I wish that I could. I wish I was going to come back here and just tell you how good you all were. And how, and, and how proud are, I am of you, which I am proud of you. And, I, and God does love you. I get that. God does love us. He loves us no matter who we are, no matter what we're doing. But I can't, get, I can't spend my time just, just, just saying how good we are because it makes us feel good so that you like me at the end of the day. Um, God is pleased with you. He is pleased with you in some areas. But I'm sure there are some areas that he's not. Because there are areas in my life that I know God's not pleased with me. So if he's not pleased with me, then he can't be pleased with you. Because no man is, we're all the same, right? We all have areas that, that God says, I want to change some areas in your life. I want you to wake up in some areas. I want you, I'm pleased with this, but we have to work over here. And so we need to, we, we need to uh, uh, celebrate what he's pleased in. We need to uh, 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 take joy in bringing smile to the face of God in those areas, but we need to also then look at the areas where we're maybe not bringing a smile to God's face. Because I, I tell you that God loves us unconditionally, but his pleasure with us is conditional. And we confuse many times love and pleasure. We think because God, because God loves me, he's always happy with me. Well, he loves me, but he's not always happy with me. Because if I'm not doing things that are obeying him, if I'm not listening to God's word and fully living it out, then I'm not pleasing him. So I don't want to, um, I don't want to go to the extreme either way. I don't want to constantly be the negative, beat-up guy because it's easy, it's easy to do that because it's easy to beat myself up. And when I beat myself up, I get condemned. And therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I get that, Right? But yet we have the responsibility to work to please the Lord so that we can work and we can please him in everything that we do. So we need to focus on this. And I don't want to go to the extreme of being the hard guy, but at the same time I don't want to go to the extreme of being the soft guy that just says, oh, you're so nice. You're so good. God loves you and God's, you know, therefore just have a happy day. Um, because it's not the truth. 
It's not the truth. We have to speak the truth. We have to speak the truth in love. And, uh, and you know I love you, and I know I, lo- I mean, that's why I'm here. I, I really do. That's, I, I love this church. I love you, and I love the people in this church. Therefore, my burden is heavy because I need to continue to preach love in truth, and truth and love. They go together. Amen? You okay with that? You okay with that? So let's, uh, uh, let's journey together as we follow the Lord in how he really wants us to be. All right, let's follow the Lord together. So that first little paragraph I, wrote, I, I read, we've been trying and striving through our own power, ideas, strategies, and our own authority, and it's time to turn all these things, all these good things over to Christ. It's nothing wrong with what we've been striving for. We've been working hard. There's nothing wrong with working hard. Nothing wrong with that at all. They're good things. But until I can surrender them to Christ, all they are is my efforts. All they are is what I can do. And God's not interested, like we said before, in what I can do. What he's interested in is who I am. And who I am is a child of God that I want to please him. I want to have relationship with him. So he's more into relationship than he is about my doing. He's more into my human being than my human doing. We're human beings, not human doers. Do you get that? We are a being of Christ, and he wants to be relationship with us. So he wants more about me as a person, me in relationship, than he wants me to be a doer, even though they go hand in hand, right? We have to have that proper balance. As I was thinking about what it means to surrender our thoughts and our energies to the Holy Spirit and let him do the work and let him be the heavy lifter, Psalm 127 came to my mind, my mind. 127. Verses 1 and 2. Open your Bible if you have it. You can throw it open real quick. You know, sometimes I, I go too fast in getting the sermon, the, the message, the, the scriptures out. So get your Bible out. Bring your Bible to church. Open it up. Put notes in it. And I'll do my best to try to slow down a little bit. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Unless the Lord builds the house. God is a builder. He's a creator. He's a builder. But what he's chosen to do is give us the ability to work with him according to his plan, according to his strategy, according to his desires. Our job is to find those and to work in his plan, not our plan. My Bible commentary on this particular verse says this, only what comes from God and has his blessing is truly valuable in life. It's pretty powerful. Only what God blesses, only what lines up with his plan has any value in our life. Do you believe that? Then why do we struggle so much in our own efforts? Why do we then make so much time and effort in our planning rather than going to God and seeking his plans first? It goes on in that commentary and it says, if God is not the top priority or I put the center point, because that's what our church is, center point assembly is all about 
asking the question, who is at the center point of my life? Who's at the center point of your life? Who's at the center point of this church? All right? So if God is not at the center point of our lives, activities, our goals, and our families, then our efforts are in vain and will end in frustration, disappointment, and wasted time. For this reason, we should seek God's purposes and guidance in all things from the very beginning. (laughs) Why get halfway into the project and be frustrated and and discouraged and disillusioned only to find, oh, I guess it's better time, maybe I better ask God what he wants. Why don't we be smart enough to start thinking about it and say, hey, God, what do you want before I even get started? What do you want for me to be before I even start my day today? Maybe the first thing I should pray when I get up in the morning is, Lord, this is your day. What do you want me to do in it? How do you want me to walk in this day today? Who do you want me to talk to? And what do you want me to say to them? And put a divine appointment in my place. And here's the thing. Here, why people don't pray that is because it scares them. It scares me to think that God might use me. And it might put me in a position where I might have to open my mouth because maybe I'm not comfortable saying, knowing what I'm going to say. And maybe what I need to do is just trust the Lord to say the right words when I need to open my mouth, right? And so maybe we need to sit back and say, God, I'm trusting you today that you give me the plans for this day because I don't want to waste this day. The most valuable commodity we have is not our money. It's our time. Because time never gets a do-over. Every second that ticks by, I never get it back again. Every second. It's gone. I can't get it. I can get money back. I can lose money and figure out a way to remake my money, right? But time is irretrievable. And so if, I'm gonna, if I get up in the morning and, and, and don't purposely ask the Lord, Father, what do you want me to do today? I'm potentially wasting the day. And there's going to come a day when I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to give me, he's going to, give an, he's going to ask me to give an account of my days. How did I use the days? He gave me the very special, very important, very precious commodity called life, my time. How have I used it? How am I using it? Does that make sense? Does that ring a bell? Can, can you apply that in your life this morning? Can we figure out how to take that, that question and say, God, will you please help me in my priorities today? Will you please line up my efforts to be in line with your efforts? Many times we find ourselves putting our own ideas in place and then asking God to bless my ideas. I know, I'm guilty of it. Many times I build my own kingdoms. My, my, I have my own uh, desires. I have, I have my own agendas. And I think that God should bless my agenda. Well, the only way that he'll bless my agenda if I, if I make, is if I make that agenda to be his agenda. And if I line my agenda up with his agenda, and if I give him the rulership of all the kingdoms of my life, then I can walk with assurance that I will be effective and productive. Another thing the Lord impressed upon me over the summer was how we can change our attitude from a, I have to do something, into, you mean I get to do something? If I can get excited about what I get to do, and make my have-tos, get-tos, I will change my life. That alone will be a huge influence on how I can change my life. Because the word is, 
has a lot of have-tos in it, a lot of instructions in it. Clearly, the Bible is very conditional. It gives a lot of instructions to us. But if I can look at those instructions, not as a, you mean, God, I have to do this, into, wow, God, you love me enough that you've given me good instructions that you will help me protect myself from myself. And so I'm going to look at all those instructions as a way to say, thank you, Lord, that you've protected me from my own bad choices. Thank you, Lord, that you're giving me good, you're giving me good wisdom in how I should learn to apply these things in my life. That I don't allow those things to happen that I have to pay the consequences for later, right? So changing my attitude into a, from a have to to a get to will be very important in putting a smile on the face of God. And it'll be very important in making your life more fulfilling at the same time. Because if I can make God smile, believe me, that's going to make me feel good. It's going to make a big difference for me if I know that God is smiling over me today because I've made good choices today rather than if I knowingly do things that I shouldn't do. Now, we're going to slip and fall. I, I'm, I'm telling you, we're going to do that. So I'm not, I'm not heaping that perfection on you because we can't be perfect in that, but we can be perfect in our desires. We can be perfect in the fact that we don't want to intentionally do anything that would displease the Lord, right? We can do that. That can be your heart's desire. If, are you going to be perfect in it? Probably not. But that's okay. God forgives. That's where grace comes in. That's where mercy comes in. That's, our, that's where a repentant heart comes in. So if we can get excited about the get-tos in life, that will make a big difference in how we do some things. I've, let's go on. Let's move on to the next part of this little word that the Lord gave. I said, He said to me, we've worn ourselves out. We need to spend more time praying God's will in our lives and in our church before we put the plans in place, right? It's time to turn the corner through prayer and fasting and daily commitment to worship through our obedience, not our sacrifice. God wants an obedient, humble, teachable, workable, gentle team player. He's not looking for a superstar. He's looking for those that will humble themselves and surrender their ambitions to his plan and to fulfill his ambitions. That is true worship that the Father looks for and accepts and empowers. Now, when I was thinking about this, it reminded me of the story of King Saul. King Saul, as you know, was a chosen king of Israel, the first king of Israel that God gave Israel when they desired a king. And God worked many mighty miracles through Saul. Saul began his king role very, very well. He was a good king at the beginning, and he was powerful, and they had great victories under King Saul. But Saul wasn't obedient in everything in his life. And we're going to read some of this in a minute and see how um, Saul wasn't completely obedient and how it hurt Saul, and not only hurt Saul, but it hurt the whole nation of Israel. Open your Bible to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we're going to spend some time here, so it's worth opening your Bible. In this, what we're going to read here in this situation, God promised Saul victory as he was to go into battle. But he had some very complete and, and, and some very um, encompassing instructions to go with this. And let's see what happens when Saul goes, th- goes through here. And uh, does he, is he obedient? 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 3. Let's start at verse 3. Now Samuel says to Saul, 
Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Wow. That's pretty intense, isn't it? I mean, he says, I want you to destroy everything about the Amalekites. Now, that doesn't go in our New Testament. That doesn't go in our politically correct world today that we would destroy men and women, children and everything. But that was God's plan at the time because the Amalekites were evil in the sight of God. And God had his plan and his purposes. And what I get out of this, number one, is not, it's not my position to challenge God's instructions. If God gives an instruction, it's, he's not looking for me to be the final judge or to be the final authority. So what happens? They go to war. God gives them complete victory. But even though God gave them a complete victory, we find that Saul isn't obedient to what God asked him to do. So even in Saul's disobedience, God still gave them the victory of that battle. We continue on, 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning at verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel, the prophet, was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. Now it's interesting here that Samuel, the prophet, knew that Saul was disobedient before he even met Saul. God gave him the instruction. God gave him the information. In other words, what this says to me is that there are no secrets in the kingdom of God. God knows my heart. (laughs) He knows the heart of you. He knows the heart of this church. He knows my heart. I cannot hide anything from God. So what does Samuel do? Beginning at verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down toward Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, Saul said, he sees Samuel coming. Okay, so now Saul says, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. (laughs) So do you see Saul here? Saul now is making some excuses. He heard the instruction from Samuel to destroy everything, but when he got in the middle of the battle, he saw that, boy, there were some pretty good sheep over there and some pretty good cattle over there, and there were some other things over there that, why would God want me to destroy that? I don't, God, you must, God must not have, I must not have heard right or something. So he didn't, he spared the animals, the best. And then he went back to Samuel and he said, Samuel, I did everything. And I did, and I, and, I, and, and, and I saved these so I could sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. And I think the key element here is he didn't say, Lord, my God. He said, Lord, your God. In other words, all of a sudden, Saul is distancing himself from God because it's not his God anymore, it's, it's Samuel's God. And you can say, and that's the preacher's God. And you can look at it and say, well, that's the preacher. That's what his responsibilities are. But the Lord is looking at all of us here in the battle, and he's as much your God as he is my God, if he's your God at all, right? 
So the first thing Saul did was place blame on the soldiers. And he, then he began the story of compromise. And aren't we good at compromising? Aren't we good at, at, at pushing the blame on somebody else when, when we're caught in something? Aren't we good at it? Yeah, we're pretty good. See, if Saul, like we, can understand killing the bad things, but I can't quite understand why God would want me to kill the good things. I can't understand why he would want me to destroy everything. See, it's easy to be obedient to God when I can agree with God. <laughs> it's easy when I, to be obedient when, I can, when it doesn't put me under stress. But as soon as it puts me under stress or puts me in a situation of difficulty, it's like, no, God, I don't think you really mean it that way. So I'm not going to go there. Maybe you mean it for him that way. Maybe you need it for the pastor that way. But no, for me, I don't think so. I'm going to give myself a way out. And we do. Quite often we do. And, and we find that we're making, it, that we're making the, the decision that God's waiting for us to give the final approval of his, of his commands. Rather than just simply doing them, we want to say, no, I don't think so. Let's, let's soften it a little bit. Are we guilty? Yeah, I'm guilty as charged, okay? I think we all are. What was Samuel's reaction to this? Look at verse 16. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul, Saul replied. And the thing that caught me here, and I, and I italicized, tell me, because Saul was still deceived. He was still thinking that Samuel was going to say, you did a good thing, man. You killed them all, but you saved the best. And so many times, that's what we want to hear. We want to hear, tell me the good things that I've done. I don't want to hear the other things, but just tell me the good things. So what does Samuel say? Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Verse 19, Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do, and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Verse 20, I can't believe Saul is so thick. But then again, I can't believe I am as, he, as well. Verse 20 says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them and the Lord your God at Gilgal. Again, he says, your God. But Samuel, Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? The point is to obey the Lord is better than sacrifice. Saul was so deceived. And he said, I did obey him. And even in his deception, he's so thick because he brought back the king. Now, what's important about the king is that quite often that when they did go to war in those days, they would bring back the king alive. Because then they could, they could really brag over this victory. Because they could bring the king back in, and they could shackle the king, and they could embarrass the king, they could strip him down naked or whatever, and, and march him through the streets and say, we have the king of the country that we just, we just captured, and it's all about bragging about what I did. I brought the king back. I defeated, and now he's, he's my spoils. He's my victory. And so what, what it does is quite often they will then keep the king on display for a while, and then they will eventually kill him. Then they'll mount his head on a post, and they'll walk. I mean, it's, it's grotesque, but that's what they did. And that's what, what, that's what Saul was intending to do. 
He wasn't doing this to glorify the Lord. He wasn't doing this to be obedient. It was all about Saul getting the victory and Saul then eventually taking the credit. And sometimes, guys, when it's in our church building, we can be the same way. We can be the same way sometimes in what we do for the Lord. Rather than doing things just to glorify Him, we do things because we want people to say, oh, how good you are. How good your word was today. How good the worship was today. How, how powerful you, you pray. What, whatever it is. And those are good things to do. But why are we doing them? It's the motivation of the heart. Deception can be so subtle in our hearts and lives that we think, like Saul said, but I did obey the Lord. Well, I did partially, but I didn't take it to the end degree. And God is looking for those today. The, the church that he's coming back for today is not the one that did, that, that's partially obedient. The church that God is coming, the, the church that Jesus is coming back for today is the church that is fully obedient. Do we understand that? That's why the Bible is very clear about the small gate and the narrow road and few are on it and the, the wide gate and the broad road that many are on because many will find that partial obedience and think, we're good, we're good, we're serving the Lord, look at everything we're doing, but it's partial obedience. They don't, want it. They, they don't look at the things in their life that are the displeasing things that God's really wanting us to focus on. That's not negative, guys. That's truth and love. And that's the way we're, if we're going to get through, that's how we have to get through life. We have to look at the whole counsel of God's Word. John 14, chapter, or chapter 14, verses 15, and then 23 and 24, Jesus is very clear here. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. How clear is that? How clear is Jesus speaking? But yet, how many times do we practice this? How many times do we like to hear preachers preach on this? Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And yet, we have people that are in flagrant sin claiming to be Christians. We'll have people that are living lives of pure defilement, but yet say, I'm a Christian. Well, this says... If you love me, you'll obey my teaching. There are some clear things in Scripture that are very clear when it comes to sin. Lying, cheating, slandering, gossiping, bickering, greediness, homosexuality, pornography, drunkenness. See, that list, we can say, oh, yeah, the homosexual, or yeah, the drunk. Boy, they're going to hell. But in the list was a liar. In the list was a slanderer. In the list was a gossiper. See now how that hits home? Because I can, I may not be homosexual, I may not be a drunkard, but you know what? I may be good at slandering people. I may be good at gossiping against people. And do you know that list includes gossipers just like it does homosexuals? You see, guys, and this is where if we don't look at the whole counsel of God's word and then live our life in obedience to that, we're deceiving ourselves. We're no different than Saul. But I did obey the Lord is what I'm going to say when I meet him. I did obey you, Jesus. And chapter 24 or chapter 7 of, of, of Matthew says, Lord, Lord. And he says, I never knew you. That's a scary place to be, folks. All right? That's all I want to say about that. It's a scary place to be. 
Obedience is our true form of proving our love to God. You want to know if you love God, then obey God. Let's continue on because we're moving, time's clipping. We have a mistaken perspective of worship. It's not that our worship is wrong or bad. It's simply incomplete. Worship is obedience to seeking, finding, and living out God's plan. It's so much more than Sunday worship. It's, that's only the starting point. Worship goes into the marketplace, meaning that what we give God on Sunday morning, he is waiting to see if we still mean it on Monday and throughout the week. We sing of his glory and majesty, but it's our lifestyle of obedience to him being lived out. God accepts our worship as we are obedient to his word. This is the only form of worship that he accepts. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me give you some definitions. Being holy is obedient. And being obedient is worship. Being holy is being obedient and also and that equals worship. One can't be holy if one's not obedient. And one truly can't worship if you're not holy. Worship and obedience are defined together. Let me give you a quick example. Genesis 22, 1 through 2. Open your Bible real quick. You don't have a lot of time. But this is the test that God gave Abraham regarding Isaac. And at the time, God or Abraham didn't realize this was a test. It was just an instruction from God. Genesis chapter 22, we're getting at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Morah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. All right? Now, we see this as a test because we're reading it. But Abraham was living it. He didn't know it was a test. He just knew that God had told him to do something. So what did, what did he do? Uh, verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Three days, Abraham walked. That would be probably the longest three days of his life, thinking that he's walking, knowing that he's going to sacrifice his son. Why do you think God gave him three days? Why don't you think he said, do it tomorrow morning in a close-by place? Probably because this was, this was part of the test. He gave him three days so that, to see if Abraham would really fulfill the instruction that was given to him. Three days goes by, and Abraham has lots of time to ponder it, lots of time to think about it, maybe lots of time to say, God, I don't think I heard you right. I don't think you really wanted me to kill Isaac. I think you were just, I don't know, God. And so he lots of time. Three days is a long time, guys. We, have, we can have lots of thoughts in three days. But after three days, they arrive at the base of the mountain, and this is what Abraham says to his servants about what's going to happen next. Verse 5, he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Worship and Abraham was equaled obedience. He was going to go up and worship, but in his worship, he was going to slay his son. He went up with the intention of binding Isaac, throwing him on the, on the altar, and slaying him. And not until he had his arm raised up with a knife, with Isaac bound up on the altar, ready to bring the knife down and stab his son, 
did God hold his arm and say, stop. Now I know you're obedient. Now I know you worship me. Obedience and worship are the same thing. We can't worship on Sunday and then go live disobedient on Monday and think we're worshiping God. Amen? Speak to me here. Come on, this is truth. This is God's word. He's not going to accept my worship if I'm disobedient to him. It's only when we're willing to slay everything in our life will he, will he say, ah, now you put a smile on my face. Now I see you doing the things that I've asked you to do. Now I see the surrender in your life. Now the blessings come. Wow, that's what I want. That's what I think this church wants. But we need to understand it. We need to walk in it. Jackie, if you'd come. We'll just end the service by saying a couple good things. Worship and obedience are synonymous. They go hand in hand. John chapter 4, verse 23. We'll end with this chapter, with this verse. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. God only accepts worship when we worship in truth, and we worship in obedience, and we worship in humility. He doesn't accept worship when it's prideful, when it's arrogant, and when it's all about me. He wants us to find that place of obedience that we then truly can worship the Lord. Amen? So I want to take the next couple minutes. We're wrapping up. And I just want all of us to examine our hearts this morning. And if you've had a time in your heart where maybe you haven't been truly obedient and you see that to be something that you need to work on, I want you to just take that time and lay, and lay it at the altar this morning. I, I want to just end with a time of prayer at the altar this morning for those that feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I haven't really truly been as obedient as I need to be. There are some areas in my life that I'm kind of keeping private. They may not even be that bad. They're just not fully obedient. Saul keeping the best so that he could then sacrifice it to the Lord sounds really good. But it was disobedient. There may be things in you and in, in your life today that you're looking at it and saying, but God, I, it's good. But he's saying, you're not obedient. You're not doing what I've asked you to do. You need to lay it down. You need to surrender it. So this morning as we sing this song, I just want to open the altars and and I want to just give an opportunity for prayer. If you need prayer with something, I'll be up here. There'll be others up here to pray. I just want to spend the next few minutes in praying and then then we'll we'll be dismissed. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie and the team are playing. Altars are open. Would you stand with me, please? You know, what I'm saying here is this. I'm not saying that if you come down to the front, you're a sinner. I'm saying that if you're a Christian, you should be down at the front. (laughs) Come on, folks. We all have areas, right? This is part of it. Are we going to surrender and humble ourselves? Are we going to say, no, it's not me? You say, it's not important to come to the altar. Well, I'm going to tell you it is. So I'm going to ask you all to come down. 
because we all have things here that we need to leave here this morning. This is what it is. If we're, if we're going to enter into what God wants for this church, we need to sacrifice ourselves, a living sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus. just go with us throughout the day today. Continue to work in our hearts. Continue to show us the areas, God. Give us the strength to be obedient, to, to be worshipful all of our days. In Jesus' name.